true sacrificial giving is when we do something, we, we do without something we would otherwise have so that God's work will be advanced. We're going to work under the definition, that definition as we look at our text today, as pastor is calling the fellowship family to get all in in our giving on October 28th to be sacrificial in our giving during this new, what will be a, an annual offering that we're calling I Love My Church Offering. As I consider sacrificial giving in Scripture, I can't think of a better example than what we find in Mark. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there please? Mark in chapter 12. I'd like to preach a message entitled, When Jesus Counts the Offering. I know that many preachers shy away from teaching on the topic of money and giving in the church. I, this is only my second message in 12 years on the topic of money. And the reason why so many preachers shy away is because so many preachers have manipulated the Bible to say something it doesn't say so as to manipulate God's people to give more money to the church. To that I would say a couple of things. That when you give your money, you don't give to the church. You give to God through the church. That's a big difference. And though I don't approve of the type of manipulative, politext, out of context type preaching, and I certainly don't appreciate it, I'll refuse to shy away from a true and biblical approach to preaching on giving just because some preachers... Preach it falsely. Jesus didn't shy away from this topic. In fact, a very, very simple study will show that he talked more about money and giving than he talked about heaven, hell, sexual sin, and violence. He did that because he knows how closely tied our finances are with our faith. It's Jesus that said to his disciples, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I figure if our money and what we do with our money is the chief indicator of the condition of our heart, we should probably talk about it. More importantly, we should see what God says about it. That doesn't mean that I'm comfortable preaching on giving today. Because anytime you know you're going to challenge people with such a private issue... It's not comfortable, but it's essential because it's biblical. Let's read four short verses that are packed full of truth. Look at Mark 12, verse 41. It'll be on the screens if you didn't bring your Bible today. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites which makes a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. When Jesus counts the offering. Did you notice the first phrase of verse 41? And Jesus sat over against the treasury. What was the treasury? 
The treasury was the part of the temple located in what they called the court of the women. Back in those days, women weren't allowed to enter into every part of the temple. Brother Rob, is my mic cutting out? All right, good. So the women weren't allowed into this, into most parts of the temple. By the way, women, aren't you allowed? You're, aren't you thankful you're allowed in any part of the house of God today? <laughs> that was that was Jewish customs, um, but they weren't allowed in, in, into a lot of the parts of the temple. But this treasury was actually part of the outer part, and women were more than welcome. It occupied about two hundred square feet. When you walked into the treasury, inside and against the wall were. 13 trumpet-shaped boxes. They were the offering plates of the day. They all had various inscriptions on them designating to what purpose the various offerings were directed. Nine of those boxes were for things like legal dues and temple taxes. Four were for voluntary contributions such as I love my church offering and giving to the poor. The verse says this treasury was where Jesus was. And notice what it said he was doing. He beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. The word beheld is very interesting. You know, the New Testament is written in Greek, so if you want to understand the original meaning of a word, you've got to go to a Greek dictionary, and you come to find out in study that, that it's where we get our English word for theater. So it seems to me that Jesus isn't just in the corner of the treasury passively observing this offering, killing time. No, he is thoughtfully and carefully, perhaps on the edge of his seat, observing this offering. If you were to go into a musical theater, and if this is your thing, perhaps watch a Broadway play, you would be watching that with thought while, while following the plot and analyzing the characters and listening intently to the lyrics of the song and anxiously awaiting the climax of the story. For those that don't like Broadway, just put yourself in an NFL stadium. This is not passive observation. That's what Jesus was doing. He was sitting in the corner of the treasury, thoughtfully and carefully observing the offering, but look what he was observing. Look what caught his attention. How the people cast money into the treasury. It wasn't a matter of the matter of giving that caught Jesus' attention. That was routine. He had seen giving in the temple before. What caught his attention was the manner of giving. How they were giving. By the way, Jesus sees how you give too. And it sees how I get. No, he's not in the corner of the auditorium watching you. But he is seated on a throne sovereignly. And he is an all-knowing God who's everywhere at one time seeing every single thing. In fact, he knows what you're thinking right now. He's carefully and will be carefully observing what you give in the offering in a few minutes. How does that make you feel? That means he will see the showboat givers. You know, the people that are hoping someone will see them drop their check in the plate and praise them for it. They could give a $5 bill, but they give $5 in quarters so that everybody will hear it hitting the plate. <laughs> He's going to see the tugboat givers. Those are people whose money won't move unless it's pried from their hands and tugged from out of their wallet. 
It's going to see the sailboat givers. These are people whose money won't budge unless a breeze of generosity blows over them from time to time. Sailboat givers say, I like that project. I think I'll give to that one. But the next Sunday, I don't like that. I, I don't think I'll give to that one. He'll see the bass boat givers. Those that are giving in only because they're hoping to get something out. He'll see the lifeboat givers, those who are giving every Sunday because they think that's what's going to save them in the end. He'll see the speedboat givers. Those who speed out of the services right when the pastor starts praying for the offering so they don't have to give and it won't be noticed that they didn't. Rest assured that whether you're a showboat, tugboat, sailboat, bassboat, lifeboat, or speedboat, Jesus knows. And Jesus sees. And notice who Jesus was watching during the offering. And many that were rich cast in much. The idea here is not that these were super wealthy people casting in hundreds and thousands of dollars. Jesus is using comparative language. And he's about to compare this group of givers to a gift to an offering of a poor widow woman. And as he observes their lifestyle, as he observes their bank account, as he observes the margin they have in their finances, as compared to a poor widow, it's not that they're super wealthy. They're just wealthy in comparison to the widow. And it's the same in America today. When compared to the income of someone living in a third world country who's just lucky to have a glass of water and one bowl of rice every day, the low income family in America is wealthy. No, we're not, we don't, we're not filthy rich in here today, but when we're compared to the lowest of low financially, we are very blessed. Somebody say amen. And so Jesus said they cast in much. Now what would this look like if this were the treasury? Let's fast forward to October 28th. What would it look like on I Love My Church Offering Day? Let me give you a few hypothetical situations. And I stress hypothetical because the numbers and the situations aren't realistic in every case. Let's say it's going to look like this. Jesus sees a 28-year-old single person. Student loans are nearly paid off. Not a lot of overhead expenses in their life. They've experienced early success in their career. They have a comfortable margin in their monthly finances. And so on October 28th, they take a look at their surplus, and they see about $500 available. And they say, I'll, I'll give $500. And Jesus would see a 50-year-old, been at the same workplace or line of work for nearly 30 years, Started on the bottom and made their way to upper management or even ownership of the company. Great salary, great benefits, very comfortable living. And they look at their surplus upon the announcement of I Love My Church offering. And they see without even having to adjust finances that they could give $1,000. And they do. That's a good offering. Jesus would see perhaps a couple that's retired. Earning from their investments. And they're earning pretty good right now. Enjoying the fruit of their labor. Houses nearly paid off. Got a couple nice vehicles. They're even able to help their kids from time to time and certainly spoil the grandkids. 
They can afford to take the entire family out after church every once in a while. Quite a bit of margin in their finances, and they can easily take $2,000 out of the savings and not even have to make a big financial adjustment, drop it in the offering plate for sake of the work of God, and not lose a bit of sleep. All three of these hypothetically rich people gave much into the offering and felt very comfortable while doing it and had to make virtually no adjustments in their finances. Many of us would look upon their offering and be impressed. Some would even say, man, I wish I had that kind of money to give to the Lord. But this isn't the only group that Jesus saw during the I Love My Church offering. He also saw a Certain poor widow. Did you catch that? A widow. Which meant that she was the least of the least in the cultural context of the day. There was no life insurance for her to collect from her husband's death. There was no GoFundMe account she could set up and promote on Facebook. There wasn't any government assistance like we know it today. And Jesus saw her give two might. The mite was the smallest bronze coin in circulation in Palestine. It was virtually worthless. They say it was worth one-eighth of our penny today. Her offering would have been worth, with two mites, a fourth of your penny. The penny you walk by on the sidewalk and don't even think about picking up unless it's on heads. What would this look like in the I Love My Church offering? Well, since we're talking about widows, let's just start with that demographic. Hypothetical situation. The actual widow, on October 28th, because of the death of her spouse, is forced to live on one income. There aren't any spare jobs that she can work. Nobody will hire her. But she can manage to cut out a couple of things for a month and scrape together as much money as possible and even pull a few bucks from her valuable savings account. And because the Lord urges her, she's going to give around $200 in the I Love My Church offering. Jesus would see the young father who has a wife and two kids. Just at the beginning of his career, most of the time, there's actually more month than money. Trying to get out of a little debt from some bad decisions early on in marriage. But upon the announcement of I Love My Church offering, God stirs in his heart to lead his family to give sacrificially to the Lord. And so he sells a few things on Facebook, may even has a garage sale, a man's worst nightmare. <laughs> Told the family we're not eat out, eating out once this month. And somehow, by God's grace, he scrapes together $300 to give in the I Love My Church offering. Jesus would see the single mom who has to work two jobs to make ends meet. Driving a beat-up car as long as, long as it will last. Putting off repairs in the house because she doesn't know how to do them and she can't afford to have somebody do them for her. She's saving to buy one kid a new pair of glasses and another kid needs braces. But then she sees a video played right before the message. And the pastor is calling 
for everybody to get all in in the I love my church offering. And so instead of her sulking and instead of her showing self-pity and instead of her being selfish, she says, God's moving me to lead my kids and show them that even with a low fixed income, we can give sacrificially to the Lord. And so she sits them down that night and she explains to them that, guys, I know you need glasses. and I, I know you need braces, but we're going to try to hold off on that for a couple more months and ask God to prolong the life of those things so that we can give $250 in the offering. Talking about the teenager college student who worked all summer. Saved up their money for a down payment on their vehicle. They're feeling God moving them to participate in the Love My Church offering because they're convinced this isn't just a church for their mom and dad. It's a church for them too. And they take $100 out of their savings account. They put it in the offering. If I were to ask you to look honestly at these two offerings, what the hypothetically rich cast in and what the hypothetical widow cast in, who cast in more? Well, you don't have to be a genius. Basic mathematics will tell you that the rich cast in more. But did they? Because maybe if you and I were the church treasurers, we would be right. But Jesus is the ultimate church treasurer. So it would be good to see how he did the math. When Jesus saw this offering, he brought his disciples together. And he said, i got to teach these guys something. And look what he said in verse 43. And he called unto, them, his, unto him his disciples and saith unto him, don't miss this phrase, verily I say unto you. In other words, rest assured of what I'm about to tell you. Because what I'm about to tell you is going to shock you, but rest assured it's true. Here's what he says. That this poor widow have cast more in than all they which have cast in the treasury. Now would you look up here a second? They were thinking exactly what you would think if I said that the 28-year-old single put $500 in, but the broke college student put $100 in. Or the retired couple put $2,000 in. But the single mom only put a couple hundred dollars in. And, they, and I were to tell you, they, the poor, gave in more than they, the rich. You would look at me and say, where did you go to school? What kind of calculator are you using? Now the disciples have heard Jesus turn things upside down before, especially in the book of Mark. Jesus told them, the last shall be first. He also told them that the greatest in the kingdom of God is not the master, it's the servant. You talk about upside down. So, so these things wouldn't completely shock them, but to, to, to tell them that a poor widow's two mites, one-eighth of a penny, one-fourth of your penny, those two mites, is actually more than what all the rich combined threw in would have been incredibly shocking to them. And so he explains what he means in the next verse. For all they, that's the rich, did cast in of their, say that next word, abundance. The word abundance stands for their surplus, their savings account, what they have at the end of the month. Meaning what they gave that day, they would never miss. It required no financial adjustment at all. And so compared to how much money they had, what they gave in the offering, though it was much, was really no big deal to them. It was very comfortable. 
But then he says, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. This story is also mentioned in Luke's gospel, and he puts it this way, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living she had. That word want, that word penury, literally means extreme poverty. I would say that if you came on October 28th and all you had was one penny to give in the offering, you would qualify for extreme poverty. Yet Jesus said she gave more. Now watch here. You're thinking in your head, I know, well, that's a great touching story of a poor woman who literally gave everything she had to God. I get it. I'm touched by it. But let's do math. At the end of the day, she still gave just two mites, and the rich gave $100, and the temple isn't running on two mites. So you're telling me Jesus is going to praise that? That somehow he's going to say that that's more, I mean, the only other place that has that math that's that bad is Washington, D.C. What kind of economics class is Jesus going to? Here's what Jesus is getting at. It wasn't about the amount of money that was given in the offering. It was about the amount of sacrifice made to give in the offering. And so Jesus valued the tiny gift of the widow over the total gift of the rich because relative to what she had, she gave so much more. In percentages, she outgave all the rich combined, and it wasn't even close. How many have ever heard a, a young man by the name of Mark Zuckerberg? The founder of, of the biggest platform for community gossip, Facebook. That serves other good purposes too, but that's the main purpose. He's one of the youngest self-made billionaires in the world. Do you know that? He's also one of the most 20 generous people in the world. In his lifetime, check this out, he has given about $1.6 billion to charity. To anybody's standard, that is generous. I'll, I'll just take the .6 of it and be fine. But is it really generous? Because his net worth is $40.7 billion. So after all of his generous giving, Zuckerberg still has $39.1 billion to get by on. May we all bow in prayer that he makes it. <laughs> GivingUSA.com says that in 2017, the combined charitable giving among Americans was $390.5 billion. That's a huge amount of money given away by people like you and I. And to anybody's standard, that is very generous. And to you, you read what the IRS post, that the average American household in 2017 only gave away 2 to 3% of their total income last year. I don't think we're as generous as we think we are sometimes. And I don't think Jesus is nearly as impressed with our offerings as we are. Because when he counts the offering, he uses a different calculator. Did you catch it? He uses a different calculator. He doesn't count how much we give. He counts how much we keep. That means 
that Jesus is not as concerned about the amount on your check that you drop in the offering as he is the amount left over in your checking account after you give in the offering. If there's one truth he wanted his disciples to get over 2,000 years ago and he wants us to get today, it would be worded like this. The true test of sacrificial giving is not how much you give, but how much you keep. And the introspective question, the self-examining question that we ought to ask ourselves upon understanding that that is the timeless truth of this text is simply this. Is what I give in the offering small as compared to what I keep for myself? There are two types of givers in this text and two types of givers in this room. One is the comfortable giver. And to the comfortable giver, this little short story ought to be convicting. And then there's the sacrificial giver, and to the sacrificial giver, this short story ought to be very, very, very encouraging. Let me talk to the comfortable giver for a second. You know you're a comfortable giver if it never hurts to give. Do you hear me? Comfortable givers may give a lot, but because they give out of their surplus, it's still very comfortable. It doesn't affect their lifestyle to give an offering. C.S. Lewis, the great author, puts it this way. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, and amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that our giving is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. To the comfortable giver, I would say this. When it comes to the offering on October the 28th, prepare to give in a way that hurts. Ask yourself, what do I need to sacrifice? How do I willfully need to put me or my family in a situation of want? Because of my gift to the church so God's work will advance. Comfortable givers, they don't like sacrifice because sacrifice is uncomfortable. So they're in a place financially, they're not rich, but they've built a habit out of giving of their leftovers to God without any need of financial adjustment at all. And at the end of the day, the comfortable giver needs to be reminded of something, and that's that a holy God counts the offering. And he's not keeping track of what you give. No, friend, he's keeping track of what you keep. And, and what you give may be a large offering, but if it's still comfortable to you, it does not honor Christ, no matter how large it is, because he pays attention to how you give more than what you give. By the way, comfortable givers hate these kind of messages because it makes them uncomfortable. And comfortable givers get very, very, very defensive, even when a principle is proven from the Scripture. Because a comfortable giver will come to the conclusion that a church is being dogmatic about something like this because they want my money. Comfortable givers call it my money. When in reality, it's not your money. 
It's God's money. Well, I worked for it, and he gave you the breath in your lungs and the strength in your hands and the intellect in your mind and the energy in your body to do so. And if he would take but one day off, your money wouldn't be worth anything to you because you would be dead. He's your life support. And if this message is, well, my, what do they think? And every time I come here, they preach on giving. I'm just saying we don't do that, number one. Second message in 12 years. But if faith is so tied in to our finances, perhaps we should be addressing it more. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But I would be foolish to somehow, even in my mind, label everybody in here as a comfortable giver. Because we worship in an amazing facility today. And our kids are learning the Bible in spacious areas today. And you're hearing me, not from this mic that works, but from a decent sound system today. Because of sacrificial givers. You think a church our size and a community our size gets to buy a 70,000 square foot building and not once ever miss a payment because people are comfortable? Absolutely not. We sit here today because sacrificial givers are all in. And they realize that the best return on any financial investment I can make is an eternal investment. So I'm going to do it. Our church has grown and reached people around the world. I'll introduce a missionary to you this morning at the end of the service and tonight. And if the Lord allows us to support his mission work, we'll do so because people give on a weekly basis to faith promise missions and they give sacrificially. When Jesus brought his disciples together and huddled them up and said to them, hey, I want to teach you something. Perhaps he was just trying to encourage them for a day that he foresaw in their life. They couldn't see it. Perhaps he could. Because he asked them to forsake all and follow him. That means career fishermen dropped their nets and followed him. That means tax collectors who had a comfortable salary. And that's just a salary they got honestly. The one they lied about made it even more comfortable. And Jesus said, leave all of that. Men, you you imagine God telling you to leave your job. You've worked hard to get to where you are financially. God says, walk away from it. And that's where these men are. In other words, they don't qualify as the rich. Are you listening? They qualify as the poor widow. And Jesus is telling these men, That there are going to be times when you go to the treasury and there will be times in the early church where you host an offering and you want so badly to give in much but you are stuck with giving in little. And I want to encourage you and speak into your life that, that if you give sacrificially, God is still pleased by that no matter the amount of your offering because he cares most about how you give. And I can't help but think on October 28th they're going to people that going to be people in our church that, that as they normally do, they scrape together as much as they can. They make sacrifices. 
They provide some more margin in their, in, in their finances so that they can give in the offering. But, but at the end of a month or a month and a half of sacrificing, they still have very little to give. And they're thinking, what difference is this going to make? Perhaps this is in the holy word of God, inspired and preserved for us to learn this lesson, that God uses a different calculator. So don't get discouraged. He's more concerned about, about the amount of sacrifice it took to give your $100 or your $20 or your $40 than it took for somebody to give off the top of their money, just their leftovers, even if it's $5,000. I'm calling the comfortable to sacrifice. And I'm calling the sacrificed to keep sacrificing. Perhaps Jesus... Put this in the Bible to let us know that what really gets his attention, oh, please listen. What really gets his attention when the offering time comes is when he sees that you stretched your budget tight, that you gave up, given up some niceties that other people in your age group didn't have to give, it, give up. You've slaved in the kitchen for, for, a, for a month just trying to avoid eating out. You've passed up on really good purchasing opportunities all because you have something to contribute to the offering and, and you want to have as much as possible so that the work of God will be advanced. Nobody else will see your sacrifice. It it will be anonymous gift. It won't be necessarily something we'll post on the screen and the pastor won't send you flowers for it because he won't know. And I won't shake your hand and say thank you because I won't know necessarily what you gave. But Jesus is sitting sovereignly on his throne just like he was sitting in the treasury that day and he's beholding that and it blesses his heart and it moves his heart and it gets his attention. And if there's anybody's attention I want, it's God's. I don't want the pastors. I don't want the deacons. I don't want the person in the row next to me seeing what I put the offering, seeing me put an offering in, boy, I get there. I don't want that. I want my Father, God's attention. And what gets his attention is those who sacrificially give. A couple questions and I'll be done. Are you a comfortable giver or a sacrificial giver? Question number two, when is the last time you gave to the work of God so much that it hurt? Number three, when you evaluate your offering, is what you give small as compared to what you keep for yourself? God help us today to see our offering like God sees our offering, where what we keep matters a lot more than what we give. Would you look up here for a second? At the end of the day, Jesus is only asking his disciples to do something that he was about to do for them. Perhaps the reason why the little widow woman meant so much to Jesus was because in his mind he knew that he would walk down the Via Della Rosa up to Calvary and not give some and not give comfortably but give it all. And because he did so with joy, Hebrews chapter 12, he endured the cross despising the shame. He had every right to sit his disciples down and say, I expect you to do the same. Jesus loved you, 
and he gave it all for you. That means we ought to love him and be willing to give it all to him. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed?